0: It's the Victorian Variety Show. I believe in the practice and philosophy of what we have agreed to call magic, in what I must call the evocation of spirits, though I do not know what they are, in the power of creating magical illusions In the visions of truth in the depths of the mind when the eyes are closed. And I believe in three doctrines which have, as I think, been handed down from early times and been the foundations of nearly all magical practices. These doctrines are, one, that the borders of our minds are ever shifting and that many minds can flow into one another as it were, and create or reveal a single mind, a single energy. Two, that the borders of our memories are as shifting, and that our memories are a part of one great memory, the memory of nature herself. Three, that this great mind and great memory can be evoked by symbols, I often think I would put this belief in magic from me if I could. For I have come to see or to imagine in men and women, in houses, in handicrafts, in nearly all sights and sounds, a certain evil, a certain ugliness that comes from the slow perishing through the centuries of a quality of mind that made this belief and its evidences Common all over the world. This is the Victorian Variety Show podcast, in which I look at the many phenomena that either developed during or intersected with the Victorian era and continue to fascinate us today. My name is Marissa, and the excerpt I just read is taken from a 1901 essay by William Butler Yeats called magic. Although Yeats is perhaps best known as a poet and dramatist, he was also interested in mysticism and the occult for much of his life and was a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, a secret society that was active in the late 19th and early 20th centuries that went on to inspire many more recent Western occult traditions, including Wicca and Thelema. I chose this excerpt to set the tone for today's episode, which I am really excited about. I recently had the opportunity to talk to Stephen of the Dark Stories from the Campfire podcast, which I am a big fan of, about British occultism and its many influences before, after, and during the Victorian era. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, learned a great deal, and was able to clear up some misconceptions that I previously had surrounding this topic. However, it is a broad one. So I asked Stephen to basically give us an overview this time around and am leaving open the possibility to explore some of what we discussed in more detail in a later episode. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Stephen. My guest today is Steven, who's the creator of Dark Stories from the Campfire, a podcast of original horror tales that are perfect for curling up next to the fire with and getting lost in the tales. He is also the creator of the History of the Tarot, a new history podcast that seeks to explore the origins, cultural significance, and influence of tarot cards, coming in November. That sounds really cool. Cool. Stephen, welcome to my show, and I'm actually going to start off with asking you a little bit more about this Tarot Podcast, because it sounds really intriguing.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, thanks for having me on. I'm obviously a big fan, as you know.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: we have the history of the po- Tarot Podcast. It actually started about a year ago. It was a project I was thinking about doing. I thought, initially, I thought it would be oh, a little little, pro- little side project, Maybe this little mini-series, but when I started uh, getting down a little bit... Into the research, it was a lot more complicated than most people try to perceive it to be. You see a lot of things, especially on on Twitter and YouTube. It kind of was, hey, it, these cards came up in Renaissance Italy, then yada yada yada, nothing really happens for four hundred years, and all of a sudden the French, a cold revivalist, really took off with it. But there is so much before that that happened, and even the cards themselves. And a lot of it leads into the, the Renaissance hermeticism that they kind of kind of just blow over. So I was really thinking about, maybe this could be a grander type project. So this has really been something I've been working on for a little over a year. It was, it was supposed to actually debut last year. But, I mean, obviously the research was just too intensive. So I wanted to give it a little bit more time so I didn't start rushing out a project without completely fact-checking and making sure I'm appropriately giving out the right information.
0: What's the format going to be like? Is it going to be like on the... Cards themselves, or is it going to be more on like like the cultural circumstances that led to like the tarot and like different? Because I know a lot of different cultures have had tarot traditions. So is it going to be more focusing on the cultures or on the actual act of reading, or both? It's
1: going to be a, a, a combination of both. I plan to the first front end is going to be just a lot of just basic history. Because a lot, a lot of it starts in ancient China, so you have to know like the origins of playing cards, how they go through the Middle East before they finally reach Europe and they start to develop. So once I get past that, then I start alternating between the actual history and how it's per- perceived, prospectively throughout cultures, and also the kind of the history of the cards each one. But several of the cards have changed; they change symbols, I mean, dramatically. Especially the the magician has a different alternate meaning. Uh, oh wow! Used to be the a female pope that used to be involved, oh wow I didn't but did not no longer mainly because of the catholic church and some of the the anti-catholic c- countries would not accept that so they so that was changed to the empress and also the, the, there used to be a pope card that was changed to the hermit not the hermit the hierophant so several of the cards have changed there are variations throughout europe mainly because of religious and cultural beliefs so i thought it was a very fascinating aspect because it's pretty much throughout Europe and it bleeds into America, and obviously the other cultures thrown because they all have their own kind of divining cards as you were, as you were, I mean, even into West West Virginia has their own divinity cards. That's based off of playing cards.
0: Oh wow, which I didn't even realize until I think my wife pointed out to me
1: uh, a deck of cards, and I kind of got into that. i was like, oh, this is like a whole other new territory that I even existent that many people don't even talk about. I mean, there's a lot of divinity cards out there. So to wrap it all into one cohesive narrative has kind of been, like, the main goal of this. I hope, hope yeah. it, it, it comes together. Well, yeah, that's kind of the the outline that I have going on moving forward right now.
0: That sounds awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. And I will definitely mention on my show as well when uh, when you start putting episodes out, because I think that would interest a lot of the listeners of my show. So how did you become interested in general in magic, spirituality, tarot? Like, how did you become interested in all of that?
1: I was just kind of a graduate. Thing. it's really odd that I have been interested in it because I don't personally have any really true spiritual beliefs. I'm not part of any organized religion. Just when I was younger, I started reading these books. I started coming across these like theories and different theories in, hist- in history. It was like, what is that about? Cause obviously you don't you don't just hear about it in mainstream like anywhere. So I just Started reading, and then I was got my first pack of tarot cards. I think it was like eighteen or
0: nineteen. Oh wow! And it just kind of took off from there. I started buying occult books and starting the
1: secret societies, and like the history of it. I mean, just the sheer history of some of these groups. Yeah. Are just so unbelievably just wild and fascinating. That's like, how can you not just kind of want to dig deeper and deeper and deeper?
0: Exactly. Just some of those earlier, some of those earlier esoteric societies. Have so
1: much influence on what happens later, getting into the French, well, the so called French occult revivalism, which will lead into the, the Victorian stuff, which just explodes. And it's just so much influence from that, the listening, into the Victorian period that carries over into a modern magic in the 20th and 20th century.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've I've noticed that with studying the supernatural, and um, I mean my current interest in the supernatural. I really am interested in ghosts, but I'm also into cryptozoology. But it's so true. Like once you discover one thing, and read one book, you just want more. You just want to learn right. as much. Uh, hopefully, anyway. Yeah. Like, like some weird. people like, won't, but I mean, if you're if you're like you and addition, me, yeah. I get it.
1: <laughs> Once you go down that, it's a it's a, it's a rabbit hole that is just un, you just don't want to come out of because the histories and the stories that they create you just don't see that anywhere. Exactly, it's all building off of other beliefs and ancient systems, and they have their own cryptic texts. It just, I just find it unbelievably interesting. So that's kind of how I ran about it when I got into it.
0: Yeah, I uh, I think it's great to uh, talk about it and also talk about these other areas. I mean, because even though this podcast focuses on the Victorian era, I do like to explore like where something that became a trend during the Victorian era, where that originally came from. A lot of the things that I've covered actually had their roots centuries before the Victorian era. And I also right. like to tie it in with what's going on today. So if you could talk a little bit more about specifically your interests and how what you're interested in tied in with the Victorian era, that should be great because I definitely think there are a lot of deep ties there.
1: Oh, yeah, there are. Uh, I guess the, the main origin, the origin point for uh, Victorian occultism, in fact, the main origin point for all esoteric and occultism, really starts in like 4th century BC Egypt this mysterious figure called Hermes, I really have a hard time pronouncing it, Trismith Stegestus, I think it's called. And he was this figure that came from a very mythological Egypt. And scholars know now that he wasn't real, but there's an entire like hundreds and hundreds of volumes of esoteric work that's just ascribed to him. And it really kind of came into fruition in Alexandria well, let, let me back up a little bit. How this figure came to be is our first instance of Egypt, Egypt, uh, Egypt mania, which plays in a huge role further down the line. Uh, and It was just a clash between Egypt and Greek cultures. Now, the Egyptian cultures weren't very welcoming of outside religions. The Greek cultures so- soaked it up. They absolutely loved the Egyptian symbols. They loved the god. So they took their Hermes and their toth and they... Crush them together because they are both pretty much the same. So you have this one singular synchronized God of magic and writing, and that's really where it took off. So a lot of early esoteric writings came from there. In fact, Hermes is supposedly amongst a lot of esoteric groups. Freemasons, I think, kind of the exception because they have a different origin story for them. But pretty much every other esoteric group Claims their origins from Egypt from this mythological figure. That's kind of where it takes off, and it uh. spreads through throughout. I mean, throughout the Middle East, throughout the world, and it just influences so many religions and cultures over the next couple thousand years.
0: What are some of the ways that that influenced? Like, I mean, during the Victorian era, there was definitely an Egyptian influence. I mean, not. I don't know if "influence" is the right word, but there was this very strong interest, from my understanding, in like Egyptian culture during the Victorian era. Oh, so
1: it was very strong. That actually came. I'm not to interrupt you, but it actually came no. from the French. The French occult revival in the 18th century. That was just spawned from Napoleon going over to Egypt and bringing back some of the artifacts that the French occultists just loved it. They they found so
0: much hidden meaning behind it. What French occultists was built on was a misinterpretation of Renaissance Hermeticism. So that's interesting.
1: Was to, what, excuse me.
0: That's interesting oh. because I when I was doing some research earlier today I, I came across some just a little bit. Like I was looking at like Wikipedia, like Renaissance and the Enlightenment and they were tying it into occultism. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that.
1: So, yeah, you know, that was a misinterpretation. and I mean, there's a whole other sidebar about French occultists going out of their way to correct what they thought the Renaissance people had gotten wrong. That's definitely shown in the tarot card, especially the hangman, because they want they reversed it, thinking that the Renaissance occultists just got it wrong and they misinterpreted it. So they just went wild with a lot of this Egyptology stuff that was coming back because they saw so much symbolism. They saw the hieroglyphs as just magical, like, beings that could just attach onto, they could ascribe whatever they wanted to, and they also attached it to the tarot cards. So moving forward in, from there, the, the, the biggest uh, occultist in France was this guy, uh, Eliphas Levi. And he wrote 20-some books, just purely on magic. He used to be a Catholic priest early in life. He just got disillusioned and really turned towards the occultism, and he went headfirst into it. And his main kind of thesis of a lot of his stuff was like ceremonial and ritualistic. Now that becomes pretty important when you start looking at secret societies the late uh, Victorian period, especially the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. They really ran with this French stuff because they were they really thought magic was. It sounds odd, like, saying that. I think it's also an important aspect to remember when you're dealing with this, that these, throughout all these cultures, they, they thought this was real. Like, they could conjure magic. Uh, so they really, so the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, really kind of ran with it. They really ran with that idea of ceremonial and ritualistic magic. In fact, it was pretty much the, the central figure of a lot of their stuff, which separated them from the other esoteric groups at the time, where one was some of them were more East, eastern type mystic, like the Theosophists, but they're also a little more Westerns because there were his, there were still hermetic groups around. So with the main thing that separated them from the others was that their true belief in ritualistic and ceremonial magic, which they got directly from the French occultists.
0: That's really, um, I'm I'm glad you talked about some of that. Something else I came across today was um, when you were saying that people believed that magic was real. Leading into the Victorian era and before the Victorian era, where do you think this desire to believe in magic was real? Where do you think it came from? And did the Industrial Revolution have anything to do with it, like in your opinion? Because I saw that some writers did think that that played some role because there was a lot of scientific advancement and something I've talked about before was that like even though a lot of people during the Victorian era and before the Victorian era were excited about the scientific advancement they also saw too much of life becoming like mechanized and they still wanted to hold on to their spiritual side and like mysticism like I'm kind of wording that really badly, but do you think that played any role? Uh,
1: That actually played a tremendous role. That advancement in technology, especially the sciences and biology and the emerging emerging science of ethnology and then anthropology, all that played a very significant role in a lot of these early esoteric to late esoteric groups in the Victorian age because it was a rejection of a lot of that. They saw saw what was going on They had a lot of freedom of thought, a lot of freedom of religion in these groups. And and yeah, it was a complete rejection of that to kind of get back more towards what they assumed humanity was geared for. When British anthropology was developing, there was two trains of thought when it came to human civilization, or just the origin of people in general. Uh, One one group of people thought that humans were composed of many different species. Uh, one another group thought it was just one species. The the one species eventually prevailed in that thought. So when those the, those ideas started to develop, especially on the origin of man, and there were one species, uh, they they hung on that because they believed that humans, while they do evolve in Darwinian type of way. They didn't believe they all evolved at the, they evolved at the same time, that the environment did play a portion. But since everyone lives in different environments, they evolved their beliefs. They evolved differently throughout the world. And the cultists is really attached to that because a lot of their beliefs were centered around, centered around the belief that they could become, that there was a trajectory to become better than they were, if that makes any sense. So, even in their scientific thinking and moving forward, there's a grand plan. That you start small and you evolve to like a greater form. And that's a lot of what, especially the Hermetic Order, the Golden Dawn, that they thought through these rituals, through these practices, that they could become better than they were.
0: Yeah, that actually. So not
1: too much. To come.
0: No, that's fantastic. Um, Actually, I was going to ask you a little bit more about the, I mean, you already mentioned the Hermetic Order a little while ago, but if you could talk even a little more about that, that would be really fantastic because that's something that I really didn't know anything about today. And when I was like looking at the Wikipedia page, I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't know more about this because it seemed like it was a pretty, a pretty big deal in like the mystical communities back then. Uh, Yeah, it was probably, I mean, historically, probably the biggest influential occult group that's ever existed. Everything moving forward comes from them. Yeah. And they drove a lot of, obviously, the French thinkers moving forward. So the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was, I think, was originally formed in 1888. I think there was three founders, and one of them eventually just took over. And they're, again, their main thing that separated
1: them from the other two was their belief in their ceremonial and ritualistic practices. They had, I mean, it was a who's who guest list, and they had artists, they had writers. I mean, it was just the creme de la creme, the aristocracy that joined this place. And they would start pretty much every ceremony trying to conjure, like spirits, trying to conjure angels just to help them. And And they opened up five chapters. One, their main one was in London. I think they had one in Paris, another one in Germany. Can't remember the other two offhand, but yeah, so they were very influential. A lot of a lot of aristocracy, but what they ended up breaking them up is the main like Magnus ended up moving kind of the headquarters to Paris, which left the London kind of like up and a power grab. It was the the writer W. B. Yeats who kind of kind of took over, and when the leader of the Paris one sent, "Strange enough, Crowley, was Crowley." to actually put place him back in power, I mean, it's well known that WB Yeats, like, literally just booted him out of the, the temple. Oh, wow. He was just not welcome there. <laughs> that's how that, so that's how they sort of started to end. And a few years later, there was a very famous court case uh, with two, with a man and a woman couple who were, who were known frauds that somehow got involved with the group. And it was through the lawsuits of these two that a lot of their rituals and practices came out in the press, and they just became a laughing stock, and all their influence and power just vanished overnight. So there was a very short-lived group, but they were a very influential group, especially in terms of like magic and occultism and moving forward.
0: Yeah, I was uh, I was looking at the list of people that they um, they said were either actual or like alleged members of the hermetic order and i was pr- i was pretty amazed like obviously crowley and yates were on there but i saw arthur conan doyle i don't know if he was a real member or an alleged member he's more of an edwardian writer but algernon blackwood i like a lot pamela coleman smith who she designed the tar- the, the well-known tarot deck I would yeah, say he made the,
1: the, 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 the most well-known one. Right? Yeah. yeah. That was another little aspect that separated them from the other because their order, the Golden Dawn order, all their members were encouraged to design their own tarot deck. Oh, that's interesting. All right, so, that, so that's why there's no shortage of tarot decks coming on. Probably invented his own. Yeah. You had the rider with the Rider-Waite, Smith, the three of them come together, designing their tarot decks. A lot of them have been lost, but those are the main ones that would have came out of that group.
0: Now, you mentioned that the Hermetic Order came about in the like late 1880s. There was a lot of other spiritualism going on during the Victorian era. Before that, there, like, going back to the Fox Sisters in the late 1840s. Do you see that type of spiritualism and occultism and say the hermetic order do you see them as related to each other or do you see them more as like two like similar phenomena that kind of developed side by side like i'm curious was there were there a lot of like i don't want to say women specifically but the kind of people that sat around drawing rooms and around a ouija board and, you know, held seances, like, was there a lot of connection between them and, say, the Hermetic Order, or were they, did they just kind of develop around the same time, would you say? Uh, no, actually, one led to the other. I mean, it, was the, it was the importing from America, the spiritualist movement, that probably helped in forming
1: these more esoteric groups later in the, in the Victorian age. I mean, yeah, women, I mean, that's a good point to bring up. Uh, as you know, the mediums the spreads the movement, women were a very big thing. I mean, the occultists, other than a couple of groups who banned women, occult societies like Victorian were very welcoming towards women. In fact, a lot of them used their platform within the occult community to advance more like feminist type ideologies and policies. I mean, they were not afraid like, to speak up and to have that platform definitely certainly helped them within that community and the, the, the mainstream at large.
0: Do you think? the Hermetic Order that went deeper, and like, I don't know, I don't know how to, I guess I don't know enough about it to word it properly. Were there a lot of similarities in how they actually practiced? Did they focus on things that maybe the more, I don't know if mainstream was the right word, but like the more, I can't think of anything better, the more mainstream mediums, like, did they differ a lot in their practices? Did, like, the Hermetic order go deeper into, um, like, different practices than, like, I guess where the mediums more... I, I don't know if this makes any sense, but... No,
1: no, I, I understand what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were, belief-wise and practice-wise, they were, they couldn't have been any more different. Uh, obviously, the Medians would speak to them, the you speak to them. Uh, the Hermetic, I mean, esoteric, just, esoteric society is... Are gonna go a lot deeper. Their concern is more in the magical rather than the physical realm, the materialistic realm. Because magic, there's essentially like three forms of magic historically. You have obviously the demonic, which didn't really play too much involved in the Victorian era, but there's two other ones that are central that they're like the natural magic, which is pretty much what. We're doing historically every day just alchemy astrology medicines just typical magic people doing and the other one's more divine magic and this is what these esoteric groups were doing they were seeking like a true higher power and through these like rituals and ceremonials they can contra up like different angels or different spirits that'll help them seek a greater connection with depending on the esoteric group their concept of like a higher being, not necessarily a god, because even the early Hermetic texts, they don't mention like a god as, as like Western culture can see like Christian Christian culture. There was there was more like like a higher intelligence, like just this great being of intelligence that just rules everything, and everything below that would answer to that. So this is what these esoteric groups are doing, even historically into the Hermetic. But that's what they were seeking, like a more deeper understanding into human civilization. I mean, Western speaking, not Eastern, but Western speaking, they were seeking a, a deeper meaning towards the origins of civilization, civilization and what it means to be a person moving forward to their better
0: being. What it seems like to me, and you can correct me if this is not, like if I'm not interpreting this correctly, but um, it seems to me that the esoteric groups were looking more for the higher power as you said and also the belief that they could improve whereas it always seemed to me that that like a lot of the spiritualism that i've looked at so far in the victorian era and the mediums they were more focused not as much on like improvement and uh, the higher power as the esoteric groups were, but more on, I guess, communicating with the dead because there was so much death going on during the Victorian era. And I don't know if I'm totally wrong, but that's kind of how, from what you're saying, that's kind of how it comes across to me, that like, like the main focus of the two might have been... Different in that way. I, I don't know, but that's just the impression I'm getting.
1: Yeah, they would have been different. I mean the, From what I understand These esoteric groups didn't have much of an interest in communing with the
0: dead. Okay, uh, those were the spiritualist movement What they were trying to communi- communicate with the, the They believed that they could, could communicate
1: with the dead or dead relatives and friends through certain rituals say like a Ouija board or, or actually an Egyptian talking board or a median or crystal ball or, or whatever they were using yet yeah, these these esoteric groups, yeah, they, their interests weren't in communing with the dead very much they were very much trying to find a different way a higher plane to connect with so that's the very stark difference I mean there is, well, one did lead to the others that opened the doorway but in practice,
0: yeah they were very different and what their goals were, and how they approached like the magical like spiritual world. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Now, what were some of the other esoteric societies, in addition to the Hermetic Order? What are some of the other ones that had a big influence during this time?
1: The ones of note is probably the Society of the
0: Rescrucians. They uh, hail from an even older
1: group, they were formed in the Middle Ages, and it didn't last very long, maybe a few hundred years was the Age of Enlightenment that ended up killing kind of their beliefs off. They did have a revival in Victorian England, I know, we Victoria, Victorian England, then later in America, surprisingly, uh, it didn't, again, didn't very last very long, but that's another one, though. They had the Theosophists, who also claimed that they have historic, mystical origins. They were more of like an Eastern-type mystic. They were concerned with like the, the understanding of the whole rather than the understanding of the advancement of the individual. Yeah, the theosophists, the theosophists and the Ruscrutions, they
0: were a little more
1: open to just laymen coming in. They didn't have a whole lot of like membership rules. Now, the Hermetic or the Golden Dawn was very strict in who could join. I mean, obviously, you had to be aristocracy pretty much. Because a lot of their beliefs stem from early Freemasonry, which is a very exclusive group. So a lot of their early practices, especially their induction ceremonies, are pulled pretty much verbatim through the earlier Freemason-type beliefs.
0: Okay, yeah. Because uh, I did see that some of the, I think all of the founders, it, it looked like, were Freemasons of the Hermetic Order. So Yeah, so, they, yeah. All,
1: they all came from Freemasonry.
0: That's, so
1: that's another thing that's a little uh, fascinating about these because, I mean, yeah, they, they splinter off, they form their own groups, they form their own beliefs. I mean, it's just, it gets kind of crazy when you start looking at some of these founders and the mythological tales, and yeah, it just kind of splinters off, and they kind of all spread out and do their own things with their own beliefs.
0: So you said, yeah, the Rosicrucians became, you know, they had a revival during the Victorian era. If you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about that because i definitely i've heard some things about like I think walt disney was interested in it for some time because it turns out he had a lot of interest in the occult but <laughs> i heard that somewhere but it's just you know that's something that i don't know that much about um there there is a free ebook from amazon that i have uh, one of those uh public domain ebooks that i started reading a while back but i, I don't really know that much about rosicrucian so if you can maybe talk a little bit more about that and why they had a revival during the victorian era and maybe how that tied in with some of the other occultism that was going on at the time that would really be great
1: the rest i mean they get their name from the the rose and the cross that was kind of their symbol they stepped out of the medieval ages i mean that's i'm talking about renaissance and medieval and renaissance magic is a whole I'm getting into the weeds but that there's just another esoteric group that came about they have mystical origins they believe that they were handing these handed down these documents these ancient documents so this hidden writing and hidden meetings so they spent their entire life trying to decipher this stuff so again they could be like better than they were again the the age of enlightenment kind of put a a lot of their beliefs to the end because you didn't need that kind of analysis through spirit, through that kind of occultism. So coming into the 19th century, that was one of the three main like beliefs, because you have obviously the Freemasonry, you have restructions, and you have Egyptian magic, the Rescrutians pretty much stayed the same, there was some overlap, I know the Hermetic Order took them, it was just a basic revival. Of just their beliefs that again, there's this, these that are getting hidden, hidden meanings hidden themes throughout nature That is just up to us to kind of decode all of these like symbols and letters to, to figure out what we're trying to be told like what greater hidden meaning is there for us to be to
0: find that's interesting so when they revived it did they Stay true to the spirit of the way it had been hundreds of years before, or did they just kind of adapt it to the current their current lifestyles, the current times? It always I mean, interests it me it, when there's a revival like that. Like, is it more of like an adaptation, or do they really try to emulate? I guess what was going on was, hundreds yeah, of years before. It was
1: more of like an emulation, I and mean, they were trying to like reinvent the religion. It was, it was again, it was just a surge all so this occultism coming up it was just a revival revivalism i mean just kind of yeah it wasn't anything too special or too influential it's just one of those things that kind of spurred up back again and you see you see that in san francisco there's another first christian revival that started up earlier yeah, i think it's the 18 early 1800s but it was overwhelmed by the spiritualism that came in so russ isn't while it's influential towards other larger groups it themselves are just just kind of another esoteric group that just has larger influence so the revival aspect is just people start looking at their text again and just trying to reapply it towards new magic
0: was there a lot of um like between these different esoteric groups did they i guess have a lot of interaction with each other was there tension between them like a one group tried to be superior did they, like, go out of their ways to differentiate themselves from each other?
1: Animosity-wise, I don't... There wasn't a whole lot that I, that I can remember. Uh, I mean, they traded members left and right. Uh, people would break off and join this group, or break off and join another group, so they didn't, like, the leadership, but they didn't, like, the, the spiritualism, the way it's going. I mean, there wasn't too many, like, rivalries right? that, like that. The only group that strove to separate themselves from the pack was the, the Golden Dawn. Because of their reliance on ceremonial and ritualistic magic, with the other SO2 groups at the time, like they weren't very interested in in performing those type of things.
0: How much of an influence did these groups have, like, on the Victorian public as a whole, would you say? Like, either socially or maybe through arts, literature, because I I did see a lot of literary people on that list, like How aware, I guess, were people of them in society? Or was it kind of a thing that if you weren't part of it, you didn't really interact with it very much? People were obviously aware of them,
1: and they would have had their own little secrets. But they they were very much aware. Um, In terms of writing, W.B. Yeats was certainly very much an esoteric writer. and Most of his poetry are just esoteric in origin and, and meaning. Yeah, I mean, the, the public would have been, was aware that they existed. They might not have been aware of that, their inner workings, but they, they were there.
0: I feel like we've gone over a lot, but kind of, just kind of getting a taste of, like, the different areas of this this right. topic, because there are just so many. What are some other things that we can, like, talk about that kind of will tie what we've discussed so far together in specifically in the context of the Victorian era, but not necessarily limited to, to the Victorian era.
1: Uh, I you mean, know, the major other topic that kind of brought up early in the discussion is the, the obsession with Egypt that would have played a, a huge part in a lot of their belief system. Cause that seems to be like a historical phenomenon. Even back to the Greeks, into Renaissance, and then the 18th century or the 17th century, uh, the French, and then into the, the Victorian age. I mean, yeah, Egypt mania is quite the phenomenon. And that was I mean, Egypt stuff was everywhere in America and then throughout the Victorian age. I mean, the Ouija boards was originally called Egyptian speaking boards. Uh, that's how it was advertised. I mean, uh, hieroglyphics were widely used started appearing on tarot cards in, I think, it's yeah, the early 1800s, especially played a huge role later yeah, on tarot cards. But yeah, Egypt mania is certainly something that to examine a little further.
0: I mean, you said that this had been going on for many centuries before that, but do you think there was any reason why it was so strong during the Victorian era? Do you think maybe imperialism and people traveling around the world to you know parts of the world that maybe they didn't travel to very much before european countries really began to expand through imperialism do you think that played any role in it uh it actually played like a huge role in that type of exploration
1: uh, especially i mean, obviously we mentioned earlier the french But you know, when it comes to the, the victorians Uh, Going back to, again, like their belief in origins of civilization, but early anthropological belief was that civilization started in Egypt. They saw the pyramids. They saw the Egyptian hieroglyphs. They honestly believe that that was the origin point of all humanity. So a lot of that stuff started bleeding into a lot of the cult things, a lot of the cult beliefs, because, if again, if they could decipher these things, then they would be able to unlock like Dakota civilization, be able to unlock the origin of people, or, or society. So yeah, Egypt, especially the exploration, certainly played a massive role in how the, these cult groups, especially the esoteric groups, started interpreting Egypt and, and incorporating it into their belief system.
0: Yeah, that's definitely something that I, I I wanted to look at. So I'm really glad we talked about that and were there any other influences like maybe not as prominent as egypt and mania but that still you could see that they played an influence during during the victorian era uh the other thing is like the influence of the, the kabbalah okay so that was
1: certainly infused within a lot of the esoteric and the kabbalah starts and this origins for this start back in like the, i think second or third or second and third century, AD, it really picks up in like the 6th, like I think the Book of Creation, it was re- the Renaissance writers when they just started to discover this they really, really took off with it and they really hung on to it so when it came to the French, they started really incorporating that into their belief system, especially again in tarot cards and that overlapped into the into the Victorian esoteric groups, because they just, it was a synthesizer of pretty much everything that went before it there's a lot of Kabbal- Kabbalistic practices that are happening with happening within these esoteric groups
0: there is a lot of information here and because yeah, um, I mean, I... <laughs> actually I'm gonna have to probably listen to this again and well I, I am going to anyway because I'm going to edit this right. but there's a lot here that like I could kind of go off and kind of explore I mean, really, more. Like, like we're like, kind of talked about earlier, like, I mean, yeah, this is, like, a very, like, brief
1: overview of how, like, we came to be and into Victorian occult. Yeah, you can pick apart pretty much any one of these and just really just go nuts with them. The the history and the text just runs so deep, especially just, I mean, you could probably come back on, just talk about the the Golden Order just itself. I mean, their origins and how, how they incorporate that and how their members started to kind of not really believe them, which is... Begin the beginning of the end. But, I mean, but yeah, but every esoteric group kind of starts the same way, and they have these ancient writings and no one could decipher except for them, which means they could hold they hold this they hold the key to understanding the meaning, which means they have the key to all the knowledge. That's kind of the over the three forward of a lot of esoteric groups.
0: Yeah, there's so much that I want to talk about. Like now that I now that I'm aware of a lot of these, um, because. i I, i'm glad that we talked about this because again i used to think there were a lot of similarities between the spiritualists and the occultists i didn't realize that it just kind of hit me when i was talking to you that the the focus was so different yeah i mean like now that i know about these things i just want to learn more about them and hopefully have you on again at some point and you know we can go deeper into one of these areas before we go i'd like to just open it up to you if you want to talk a little bit more about your new podcast or about dark stories from the campfire which is great um yeah i mean
1: uh, my current podcast right now is dark stories from the campfire it's an original horror story you can find it pretty much any podcast platform well we're gonna have a Halloween special come out on Friday, I'm not sure. It'll probably be already posted by time you post this. So on October twenty eighth, there is there will be a Hall there will be a Halloween special. So go back in time and listen to it. Great. Right? <laughs> uh, in a, once, time yeah, be a time machine. Yeah, in a time machine. listen to this, and go back in time, like oh okay I need to like stop, <laughs> listen to that on October twenty eighth. But it should be up by then and it's all its glory. Have fun with it. Enjoy it. Uh, I'm gonna take some time off from creative writing so I can focus more on the history of the tarot, which is I know it's gonna be time consuming, and hopefully I can get those the first episode out in November. I don't have a time frame when the second one will be out. It's just because again, this is just a kind of developing thing. It's been a year in progress. My goal on that one is to be like almost weekly Just. 'Cause it just seems like every time I open up another book or search another, like is something else pops up. Like, oh, how am I gonna how am I gonna use that? Oh, how am I gonna use that? It's just again, digging into these magic and occult groups uh, is just a never-ending like rabbit hole. There's just so much information. It's to me, and obviously to you, it's just so fascinating that it just you just can't get enough of it. So hopefully in November the history of the tarot will be out. Again, all major platforms, so look out for that.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And again, I will mention on this show, you know, when you start putting episodes out, I'll give you a plug because I I definitely think a lot of people who listen to my show will be interested. Yes, Stephen, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, It's been, I learned so much and I enjoyed talking to you and hopefully we'll do it again at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. Once again... I would like to thank Stephen for taking the time to talk to me about this fascinating topic. And I would like to recommend that you check out his dark stories from the campfire podcast. I'll include a link in the show notes. There are some really great stories in past episodes and Westerwick hospital, which came out right before Halloween was definitely an adventure. I'll also make an announcement on this show when his new History of the Tarot podcast comes out. I'm really looking forward to that one. And if you would like to let me know what you think about what Stephen and I talked about, or maybe something else, I would love to hear from you. Email me at the Victorian Variety Show at gmail.com or leave me a voice message at anchor.fm slash marissa d96 slash message. As for Twitter, I'm kind of sad about what's going on over there. It's been my preferred social media platform these past few years, and I've met some great people there. And if Twitter is still a thing at the time you're hearing this, because honestly, I had to go on this morning to see if it was still there. And if you would like to follow me there, please do so at twitter.com slash one But if you're migrating over to Mastodon, as a lot of people are doing, I just set up an account there too at is.noda.live slash at Marissa D. I've had two Twitter accounts over the last year and a half. In addition to the one I've dedicated to this podcast, I've had a personal one on which I've talked about lots of different things. But honestly, maintaining two Twitter accounts... Requires more executive function than I have much of the time, so even though I have this show's icon and podcast links on my Mastodon profile, my account there will probably be a combination of podcast-related and personal stuff. But I'm still learning how Mastodon works, so we'll see. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com MarissaDF13 or leave me a tip on my Linktree at linktree slash Variety Show or on the Good Pods app. And finally, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, Podchaser, Audible, or wherever you listen as that will help this podcast reach more listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for all of the support and feedback you've all been giving me. I will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. But until then, I'm going to leave you with another excerpt from William Butler Yeats' Magic, which I'll include a link to in the show notes as well. I have come to believe so many strange things because of experience that I see little reason to doubt the truth of many things that are beyond my experience. And it may be that there are beings who watch over that ancient secret as all tradition affirms and resent and perhaps avenge too fluent speech. They say in the Aran Islands that if you speak overmuch of the things of fairy, your tongue becomes like a stone. And it seems to me, though doubtless naturalistic reason would call it auto-suggestion or the like, that I have often felt my tongue become just so heavy and clumsy. More than once, too, as I wrote this very essay, I have become uneasy and have torn up some paragraph not for any literary reason, but because some incident or some symbol that would perhaps have meant nothing to the reader seemed, I know not why, to belong to hidden things. Yet I must write, or be of no account to any cause, good or evil. I must commit what merchandise of wisdom I have to this ship of written speech. And after all, I have many a time watched it put out to sea with not less alarm when all the speech was rhyme.